Greetings to you all, and uh, I want to start with a word of prayer. Our Father, we have come here to meet with you, and we come and ask first that you would open your word to us, that you would speak to us, that you would guide our heart in, in line with your will, and that your heartbeat, Lord, would be our heartbeat in the matter of of revival in our lives and in the lives of those we're praying for. Please lead us now by your Holy Spirit. We come through your son, Jesus. Amen. I want to share again about Josiah. I shared a month ago about part of his life. But today I want to look at Josiah, a picture of personal revival, and look at the latter part of his life. Last time we talked about him in his early part of his life, that he began to seek the Lord in his, in his 16th year. He was crowned king, you remember, at age eight, a very dark time in Israel where God's patience had already run out with the northern kingdom. They'd been taken to captivity. And now the Lord's patience was almost up with Judah, the southern kingdom, because they had provoked him to anger. They had forsaken the Lord and turned to idols. But when Josiah was 16 years old, he began seeking the Lord and begins purging some idols out of the land, but he was still apathetic to most of the idolatry until his 26th year when he experienced a powerful revival in his life. I want to overview that, that working of God in his life and highlight these six different signs of God's working. And as we go over these points, I hope it'll be a help to guide us in praying for the Lord to bring these things about in our own lives and the lives of those we're praying for. Uh, first, we see he was broken over his sin while trembling at God's wrath. Second, we see he inquired of the Lord about the coming wrath. Third, he exposed others to the word of God. Fourth, he recommitted himself wholly to the Lord. Fifth, he eradicated idolatry. And sixth, he restored true worship. First, we see Josiah, a man who's broken over sin and a man who trembled at God's wrath. And in 2 Kings 22, where we look at this, this account, uh, verse 11 tells us that Josiah's reaction, as soon as he hears the word that had been lost and now read to him, his reaction is to tear his clothes. And then verse 19 of 2 Kings 22 tells us a description of of even more of what happened in his heart. Uh, first, it describes his tender, soft heart, not a rock-like heart that was locked into its solid shape, but a heart that was clay-like, sensitive to the spirit and ready to be reshaped by the hand of God. It also mentions that he humbled himself before the Lord. He bent down low, in a place of submission before God, acknowledging God's authority and right to demand obedience and to punish disobedience. And then it goes on to talk about that the Lord noticed the external display of his repentance as well in, in his torn heart being expressed in his ripping of his shirt and then, and then his heart being overcome with such sorrow that he begins to weep for his people as the psalmist did in Psalm 119, 136, he said his eyes shed streams of tears because his people did not keep God's law. 
you see this this heart just move that's trembling at God's word, that's broken over sin because of exposure to God's word, and also the trembling because of God's coming wrath. And these two statements in verse 13 are are so key in us, us seeing why he was so moved, why he was so deeply disturbed. In verse 13, he says, great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. He realized the urgency of his situation. The Lord wasn't just a little disappointed with Israel. His anger was kindled and his great wrath was about to be let loose on Judah. And then secondly, in verse 13, our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book. That's why the wrath was coming. He was so moved by this. His, his people had not paid attention. They had not obeyed God's law. And so when he hears the sins described in the law and how God was going to bring those curses, he is appalled by this sin against God. And he is trembling at these consequences that are coming. And so what does he do next? He inquires of the Lord about the coming wrath. He sends Hilkiah and the others to go inquire of the Lord. And, and they come back with a message from Huldah, the prophetess, who gives them the message that affirms that Josiah's concerns are true. The Lord is going to bring a disastrous curses on Israel because they provoked the Lord to anger. They turned from him. They turned to their idols. But the Lord then lets just Josiah know that he noticed Josiah's response. Josiah's brokenheartedness was noticed by the Lord. His humbling of, of himself, his, his tearing of his shirt, his weeping, the Lord noticed it. So the Lord says in verse 19, I also have heard you. And the Lord is eager to hear and answer anyone who comes with a broken heart over their sin or the sins of others. Anyone who comes trembling at his wrath. And so how does Josiah respond to this answer from the Lord? His response was not like selfish Hezekiah. Second Kings 20, verse 19. You remember Hezekiah? He, judgment's coming on my children, my grandchildren. Oh, that's fine. At least there'll be peace and security in my days. How selfish. No, Josiah is different. The promise of peace in his days didn't set him at ease to sit back and say, well, it won't affect me. No, he knew the wrath of God was still looming over his people. And here we see someone who's truly revived by the Lord. He's not only broken over his own sin, but he's also broken over the sins of his people. And therefore, he does everything in his power to expose his people to the word of God and call them to repentance. He longed to see the nation repent. And so he, what does he do? He gathers all the people to the house of the Lord. And he himself personally stands up and begins reading the word of God. He wants the same word that had impacted his life to, to be heard and have that same response to the people as they hear the word of God. So this is here as, as us, uh, brothers and sisters, we, we also have people under our influence. Let us expose them to the word of God. One of the most powerful things we can ever do for our children is to let them consistently be exposed to the preaching of God's word in a church and also to consistently expose them to the reading, teaching of God's word in the home. It's the living and active word of God that has great power to revive the soul, to expose our sins, to make us tremble before the wrath of God. 
and then continually point us to the only solution, the propitiation for our sins, our crucified and risen Lord Jesus. It's through the word that these, that these things are, are brought to the heart and bring that conviction. The spirit loves to take his sword and bring that home to our hearts through the word. And so Josiah is doing this to the people. And we don't see a real great repentance among the people, unfortunately, but he still leads them to commit themselves to the Lord and renew their covenant. So after he reads the law, he leads the people and, and uh, verse three of chapter 23, it says, and the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of his covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. Here we see it leading the people to recommit themselves to the Lord. So important to, and everyone who is, is revived by the Lord isn't hesitant to do this, to come and re recommit themselves when they've tasted the sweetness of God's mercy. We are eager to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, to daily surrender ourselves to the Lord. Lord, what will you have me to do with that wholeheartedness in wanting to obey the Lord? And, and truly, it's a delight to know by experience the words of the hymn, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. This is precisely where Josiah turns his attention next. He wants to be holy right before God, and that involves eradicating the land from idolatry. And this is a major point of this passage. Eradicating idolatry takes up the next 16 verses of 2 Kings 23. Verses 4 through 20 is all about an extensive uh, sweeping through the land and cleaning it out. It's probably the most magnificent eradication of idolatry in all of Israel's history. So many details are listed in this. There's 389 Hebrew words. The Lord took that much space to talk about how thorough this eradication was. Notice this eradication, he removed priests, he removed idols, and not just took them out and threw them down. He broke them to pieces. He grinds them to dust. He throws the dust on graves. He throws it in rivers. He, he's burning human bones on altars to desecrate them so no one would go back to those places. He starts with the temple itself, pulling out all these idols that people had put in the temple. And then he moves outside of the temple into Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. He goes to the Mount Corruption that Solomon had built. These high places that 15 kings before him were not willing to pull down. And here he is pulling down these long, long standing idols. But he doesn't stop there in Judah, though. It's amazing. He goes even into the northern kingdom. And goes to Jeroboam's golden calves and pulls them down. And he fulfills a prophecy was given, um, even the time of Jeroboam, that he would do this. Here's such a radical eradication of idolatry. And this, does this describe us? Do we treat idolatry like this in, in our churches, in our homes, in our hearts? May we, like William Cooper's hymn, say, return, O holy dove, return. Sweet messenger of rest, I hate the sins 
that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast, the dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. May God help us to eradicate every idol and not let any remain because the Lord delights in this. And finally, what happens in response to this? There's a Passover that's like no other. In chapter 23, verse 21 to 23, that's the description of this Passover. A Passover that was celebrated, it was different from any that was celebrated in the judges' times or all the kings. It was unique. And we don't have a lot of details here. But this Passover was like no other, no doubt, because of the fresh cleansing of the people of God. Each family gathered, they killed the lamb, they put the the blood on the doorpost. They remembered that 800 years ago, the Lord had passed over. He didn't send his wrath upon his people because of the blood. And they themselves remembered God had had mercy on them. His wrath was not on them now because the Lord brought their king to repentance. And then they gathered as a people. They gathered at the temple to worship. Just imagine what it was like. This worship where finally they came clean hands and pure hearts. They received a blessing from the Lord. Imagine Josiah there in worship, overflowing with joy and gladness in the midst of these sacrifices, exuberant shouts in the songs. Imagine Josiah, how he felt so overwhelmed at at God's mercy toward him and bringing the word to him and bringing him to realize he, he was wrong in letting this idolatry continue and how the Lord had helped him to deal with so much of that idolatry and get rid of it. His his heart was overflowing with joy because they were clean. The people of God were clean and they can come together and pray and know the Lord receives their worship. No hypocrisy, no idolatry. Brothers and sisters, let's keep praying that the Lord would do this kind of reviving again, that the Lord would eradicate idols from his people so that the people we may rejoice in him and beyond that that the gospel may may go out to others all the peoples would praise him and turn from their idols to worship our king alone amen